The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony Utah Opera Ghostlight Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm Jeff Counts. And I'm Carol Anderson. With us today is our friend and colleague, John Miles, who's Vice President of Marketing and Public Relations for the Utah Symphony Utah Opera. John was born in Utah, but grew up in Portland, Oregon. He returned to Utah for his college education at Brigham Young University and joined Utah Symphony Utah Opera in 2007. Welcome, John. Thank you. It's great to see you both. Great to see you, John. Um, as we record, there's no hiding the fact that we're still in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I want to start by asking you about the fact that, look, the urge to hibernate is very strong in the business right now, especially when you see examples of it in places like the Met, which just, again, as we record, announced that it is canceling its entire 2021 season. So tell us why you think performing live, even in a highly compromised way, is so important. Why not just shut down until the trouble passes? Yeah, it would be so much easier to just shut down and wait it all out. But I've really been an advocate from the very beginning to figuring out how we can go back to safely performing live for our audiences because it's so important to the community. It's so important to the people who attend, to the artists, you know, music and the beauty that it brings to our lives is essential. And, you know, the first week that we were back, you know, they wanted to feature the entire orchestra and the brass and the winds couldn't be part of the, the performance. And so at the very end of the concert, we showed one of the videos that we had done, you know, early in the shutdown during the pandemic. And you just saw the difference between a live performance and a recorded performance. And it was just in your face and you you couldn't deny how much uh, more impactful the live is. We've been serving our audiences and reading all of the comments, like pages and pages and pages of appreciation from people who have been missing attending the symphony for six months and just couldn't wait to get back to it has really made all, you know, all these difficulties worth it to me. And so, you know, and, and there's other things like, you know, the, the vibrancy of downtown and how much the events contribute to the economy and why, why it's important for, for the restaurants and for the shopping and things like that for us to be getting people downtown. But really at the end of the day, it comes down to serving the community and using music to help people feel like they're part of a community. It's important to note that the Utah Symphony and the Utah Opera, and Utah Opera is opening their season at the time of this recording next weekend. We are one of just a handful of organizations, it seems like, that are still producing live music in a theatrical environment. Have you been talking to other colleagues around the country? How are they feeling about what they're doing or not doing? You know, what yeah. are you hearing? One of the things that has been great about this is the communication between, you know, the different orchestras and opera companies, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, we had like weekly 
Zoom meetings with all the upper company marketing directors and um, regular things with orchestras as well. And everyone is different. And I think it's because every community is different. Everyone has different restrictions. They were in different positions at the beginning. And I think it's clear is trying to make the best out of the situation that they've been dealt. And I feel like we're really lucky here in Utah. We have incredible support from our community and they value the arts and really wanted to figure out a way for us to reopen. And the state made it possible for the performing arts to open. Whereas when I talked to some of my colleagues in other cities, the idea that we're having 300 people at a performance, which to me, I went that first week, it felt so safe. It felt way safer to be at the symphony than I feel at the grocery store. Oh my goodness, yes. But Can um, I interject also? Yeah. I've never been at a symphony concert where there was no coughing. Oh, I know. Because <laughs> we make everyone take a survey that says they don't have a cough before they come. So maybe we should always do that. But I think the music would stop <laughs> if somebody coughed and that person would be escorted out immediately. But like you, you hear from other communities where they're like, I, you know, we can only put 12 physical bodies in our concert hall at a time. So the limitations that they're dealing with are much different than the limitations that, that we have here. But there's so much creativity. You see drive-in performances where orchestras are performing you know, to cars, or you see lots of orchestras and opera companies doing virtual things. Like I, I was looking at uh, what Chicago Opera Theater is doing, which is, you know, they've got a nine opera virtual season, which is really cool. Minnesota Opera is performing a virtual gala in a baseball field. Yeah, like uh, with New York, the New York Philharmonic with their their truck that they're going around town doing pop up concerts. It's, I think it, it's been good for the industry because we're so stuck in our routines, and all of those routines just got thrown out the window. And now you've got people experimenting all over the place, and then going and reporting back to everyone and telling, you know, this is what's working for us and this isn't working for us. And, and I think that a lot of great things are going to come out of it. I actually want to talk about routines for a moment, because I think since you're the first time we've had somebody on the marketing end of this profession on the show, we need to sort of set the baseline for the work you do. So how is a marketing plan constructed in a typical year? Can you walk us through your process as it used to be yeah. when everything was perfect and wonderful before 2020? Oh my gosh. I've heard it said that like an orchestra and opera company is like a, a cruise liner and you trying to, trying to change things in the middle of a season is like trying to turn it around. And I think that's reflected in how much planning goes into a season and a marketing plan. You know, typically right now we would be talking about, you know, ideas for what we'd be doing in 22, 23 and have a pretty firm plan of what we'd be doing in 21, 22, and be starting to build out the marketing campaign for the, the next season while also simultaneously doing the, the single ticket marketing for the current season. But it all starts with like developing a budget, figuring out, you know, I get a list of performances and ideas from 
Thierry and Christopher and Toby, our artistic leadership, and I have to go and and estimate how much revenue all of those performances are going to bring in, how many tickets they're going to sell. And then we go back and forth and negotiate and, and try to get to a place where the revenue and the expenses are in the, the position the company wants them to be in. And we then start looking at doing market research, talking to our audiences, figuring out you know what's going well, what's not going well, seeing what adjustments we need to make at uh, this time. Typically, we'd be bringing on our creative agency to start developing what does the messaging look like for the next campaigns. And then we would go and uh, bring in uh, audience members. Like we, we, we take these proposals that they bring to us and we put them in front of audience members and see what what resonates with people. You know, and then eventually we start getting into the tactics of, you know, when is you know, what, where are we going to spend our money? When are we going to spend the money on those things? What do we feel like is going to be the most effective way to, to generate awareness in the community about what we're doing? And then we start placing media buys and, and launch the campaign. And, and once it's going, it's kind of hard to stop it. It's just, you know, it, it, it kind of almost goes on autopilot and, and it's so busy because, you know, with an orchestra, like with as many performances we do, we're essentially promoting a new show every single week. And so we're trying to, to look, you know, eight to 10 weeks out in the future and see what's coming up. How is the, the, are the sales performing compared to the projections that we put into place a year and a half earlier? What adjustments do we need to make and working kind of together as a marketing team to put as many people in the, the seats as possible? Because like, I personally feel responsible for every single seat in a, in the venue and my my wife and my team will tell you I hate seeing empty seats. I can't even look at them because I feel like it's a missed opportunity. Every time there's an empty seat in a concert or in an opera, it's a missed opportunity for someone who could have enjoyed the performance from that seat. And so we're just all motivated and, and working together to try to get as many people to the symphony and opera as we can. Well, so what I'm hearing you say, and this is, of course, I know this as an insider in the company, in October, on October 1st, you're not still figuring out what you're performing in October. No. <laughs> yeah, is that that's, correct? That's crazy. <laughs> so like, here we are in pandemic life. Yeah. And it's October 1st, and we're just now getting October set. Is that correct? I don't know what we're performing in three weeks. So talk about, that's that's a huge difference right there. And then you're talking about you feel personally responsible for empty seats, and now we have 75% mandated empty seats. Yeah, well, more than that. So, you know. <laughs> more than that. So, so talk about what your marketing plan is looking like now. It's like all of our plans, flexible, turn on a dime, right? Yeah, I think that the pivot is going to be the word of the year, right? Sure. It's certainly the word of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, usually this industry, there's no flexibility, right? Everything is planned to a T. And, and when I think about it, I, the, the goal is for the artist to be able to walk on the stage and not have to worry about anything. Right. Right. And if they're worrying about where their music stand is or why there's no one in the hall, then, you know, we've failed the artists. And so um, that's why I think in a way that we're so inflexible normally, but um, we have new priorities now you know, virtual content and streaming has, we've all, the, the live in-person experience has always been the priority, but now that we have so many people in our audience who either are at risk and can't come to performances or don't feel comfortable yet coming to performances, we have a new priority to try to serve them through virtual content and, and streaming. 
the repertoire has changed pretty significantly. And I think for the better, the types of pieces that are be, being performed on a Masterworks concert now, you would never have seen on a Masterworks concert six months ago. Um, and I think it's giving a lot more opportunities for living composers to have their their works performed in front of an audience and for the audience here to get to know some of these uh, great composers like uh, Quinn Mason or Valerie Coleman, who were on the, the performance uh, last week that we just did. So it's really shifted and the poor box office is trying to get a hold of all of these thousands of people who bought tickets and had canceled concerts and now have tickets for concerts so that we can't accommodate everyone in and trying to reschedule them into to new dates and things like that. But uh, we're making it work somehow. We you know, sold out two of the three concerts last weekend. That's great. At 300 people, which is... Right. <laughs> sold out means something different than it used to, but it's still yeah, a goal. This weekend, we have our annual Hispanic Heritage Month performance that is uh, free to the community. And it, it sold out a week early with, you know, all these people who are coming to hear great uh, classical music from Latin American composers. And so I just really think that the priorities have shifted. And I think it's it's creating really exciting opportunities for us. I don't know if it was you or another member of a senior staff who shared some of the audience survey comments after your first weekend at the symphony. And that was really inspiring, I think, for us to hear. You know, there were the odd comment that was quite negative, but that most overwhelmingly people said they felt safe. They felt taken care of. Oh, they yeah. felt that our priority was the safety of performer and audience. And of course, safety has always been a thing, but it's never been at the forefront like it is right now. Yeah. I mean, we have meetings to talk about where to put easels in the lobby. So it's not as if safety never mattered before, but it's now definitely a priority. But I you know, it's one of the challenges in marketing is we don't want it to become what everyone's talking about, because if you're talking about the safety, then you're missing the point, which is the music and the live experience and the benefit that that can have on our ourselves, our souls and, and our communities. I think Carol would agree with me, John, that you don't sound dour or daunted. You actually sound like this is a challenge you're thrilled to be rising to. I mean, I hear invigoration. In absolutely. Your voice. How, t- talk about what this has done for you in terms of just sort of recharging your batteries in a way you never could have predicted. Yeah. And I don't want to pretend like there haven't been like dark. I mean, of course the Thursday before we opened our season and I'm, I like turn on the news and Utah is reporting its highest counts of COVID ever. And I'm just, I just like, I looked at my wife and I'm like, what are we doing? (laughs) You know, what on earth? But like I got there and I'm like, this feels so safe. Like I, like I said before, and I I feel like it's a safe experience. And um, it, it, it's one of those things where anyone who gets into the the business of the performing arts, it's, it's because you care about the art forms and the artists and you want to give them opportunities to perform for, for people and to, to impact their lives. And I've been here since, what, 2007 and doing a performance almost every single week of those 13 years with maybe like a week off for Christmas or a week or two off in June or something like that. And so to go for six months without being able to provide people with that opportunity, it was just it was really tough. And so I'm just really, you know, it is invigorating to finally be at that place again where where you're able to do your job and you're able to find the fulfillment from doing your job that that is what got you into this business in the first place. And I also just want to say the night I went to the symphony last week was my first 
social night out since the last rehearsal we had of Barber of Seville. Yeah. It was so strange. To, I was like, I'm out after dark. I'm not in my house watching Netflix. It was so strange. That was the same for me. <laughs> times we have typically recorded this podcast in our makeshift studio which we love which is actually your office and so john you've been a fly on the wall for many a podcast maybe you haven't got to do that quite as much since we've been doing things on zoom or in other locations but what are some of the most memorable podcasts you can think about through the years yeah i love um and honestly so i'm in the background trying to type as quietly (laughs) as i can and sometimes i hear myself typing (laughs) <laughs> in the back of the podcast, but um, it took us years to figure out how to get your phone not to ring. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> and I, I really don't listen to it while it's being recorded because I, I like to listen to it um, on my phone just to get the experience that everyone else is going to get. And I don't want to, I don't know, I don't want to spoil it for myself. But uh, the, the the episodes that stand out to me, and we've done like eighty something of them. Yeah, I love uh, I love hearing creative people talk about their process. And so I love the, the interviews with like the opera directors, um, people like uh, Garnet Bruce and Tomer Tvulin and uh, hearing about like the research and the depth that, of um, study that they go into when they're preparing to, to stage an opera. I, I find it fascinating. Uh, another one that stands out is uh, Patty Austin. Yeah. And her interview and her story about her connection with Ella Fitzgerald and how uh, Ella's music, how important it is and how it's still resonating with audiences today and all of her stories about all the different people that she's met. That's, I think, my favorite podcast episode that we've ever done. I have to tell you, John, you and I are the two people in this room that have been at this the longest, the ghost light thing. And I don't listen to it much except for work when I'm proofing things for Robert or Carol and I are giving comments because who likes to listen to themselves, you know, but that's one that I go back to regularly. That was one of the greatest experiences of my, not just podcasting life, but life in this business. She was amazing. She's such an inspiring person, but I mean, it's been fun to have people like Hilary Hahn sitting in my office, you know, and all sorts of artists and conductors and everyone so, yeah, it's been fun. And, and it shouldn't be lost that I got two of my favorite people in the world to come and host this podcast. Who's that? <laughs> Are we being replaced? <laughs> no. Uh-oh. And so yes. I also get to have you guys come and visit every once in a while. Well, that's nice of you to say, John. I mean, I, uh, your checks in the mail, John. Absolutely. I have to say doing this without the visual syntax of you in the background typing as quietly as you can has been difficult. It's one of the great unseen costs of COVID to be sure, at least for us, we can't let you go without asking you the question. You've heard a million of these. You didn't bring it up because you must be about to top it, but John Miles, have you ever seen a ghost? You know what? I think I have, and I don't even know if I believe in ghosts, but I'm 90% sure I've seen a ghost. So Carol mentioned that I I was born here in Utah and I was probably like kindergarten, first grade, living in Taylorsville. And I woke up in the middle of the night. So I'm this little kid and I turn and I, my door is open to my bedroom and I see this white figure standing in the doorway, looking in the room. And I was terrified because of course I'm like a little kid. I remember turning my body to, to the like wall and just like closing my eyes as hard as I could. 
so that I don't know. Because when you're a little kid, if you close your eyes, no one can see yeah, you. Yeah, because the ghost goes away if you close your eyes. It's object permanence. You just yeah. cease to exist. Yeah, and and so um, that is that was the end of it. But well, uh, it's enough, and it's probably the reason it, you moved to Portland. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, but like, yeah, that was the only paranormal experience that I I've really had. Uh, it obviously stuck with me because you know, thirty five something years later, I'm still still remember still it gives vividly. me the shivers. Well, you've listened to a lot of ghost stories in your adult life because of your association with this <laughs> podcast, but that one is truly terrifying. John, it's been great to have you here because I, it was important to Carol and I that people know what you do for the companies and not only what you do for the companies in good times, but what you're doing for us right now as we face these challenges together. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Ghost Light Podcast today. All right. Well, thank you both as well. If you haven't yet, it would really help us out if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us to get new listeners. Until next time, I'm Carol Anderson. And I'm Jeff Counts. Thanks for listening. The Ghostlight Podcast is produced and edited by Robert Bedont. The Utah Symphony Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation. <laughs>